0: Welcome to the Bigger Truth in Tech podcast, where we discuss the latest trends in IT. I'm your host, Scott Sinclair, Senior Analyst with ESG, and today we're continuing our series on containers and cloud-native environments, and I'm joined again uh, by my friend Daniel O. of Red Hat. Uh, Daniel, great to talk again as we continue this series. I really value your insights, especially your perspective on, on the needs of developers and how and really that insight that it provides IT experts and how they can better serve the developer community. For those that uh, may be listening to you for the first time, can you give a little bit of a overview on your background? What do you do at Red Hat?
1: So my name is Daniel. I'm working for Red Hat as a technical marketing major. Spend a lot of time to evangelize a lot of developer. I mean, not just the individual developer, but also DevOps engineer or SRE or like a C-level person if I have, some chance to evangelize their people how to build cloud every application, not just only uh, a technology, but also a lot of open source technology from CNCF. And then there are the great raised technology uh, to build cloud every application. In the end, they can accelerate their business values. Just some technical
0: marketing stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and, you know, I, I I love that role as an evangelist because especially for you know if you think about containers and Kubernetes I was thinking about this earlier today you know often when we think about technology and how it integrates into into the data center into the cloud into IT operations often the focus is on, okay, how do we provide better services? How do we provide, maybe become more efficient, maybe help reduce TCO, but containers and Kubernetes, especially in how it ties into modern DevOps practices, there's a direct correlation to, you know, how do we accelerate business opportunities? And I think that's one of the things that makes really Kubernetes and this topic around containers so special. And one of the things you mentioned was that there's a difference between, you know, a Kubernetes native and a cloud-native strategy. Um, And and I'd love for you, just now that we're we're recording, if you could walk through that a little bit in in a little bit more detail. Sure,
1: yeah, I think this is a really good question uh, as a starting point, because you've probably heard about cloud-native approaches such as cloud-native platform architecture and application and services. Since the Cloud-Native Computing Foundation, also known as CNCF, defined the term, back in 2015, just six years ago. Or even some people already know about that, uh, maybe almost eight or seven years ago, uh, because that cloud native term was first used by Bill Widerbu, cloud architecture pattern in almost, I mean, nine or 10 years ago. Cloud native approach is a long history. And then in that history, uh, the commonality of definition of cloud native uh, is the some kind of pattern of organization and architecture and technology with a consistently and reliably scalable take a full advantage of the possibility of a cloud oriented business model. That's the, uh, the definition of a cloud native. You can also describe the cloud native as a combination of best practice, which includes but not limited to uh, the continuous deployment, a Linux container packaging mechanism, and microservices, of course, to help achieve elastic scaling capabilities and speed of introducing new functionality and increasing automation needed to cater on unpredictable competitive landscape. So, ultimate goal of cloud-native is to able to adapt cloud-native technology quickly and cost-efficiently. Cloud native application is intended for cloud like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, but Kubernetes native application is specifically designed to run on Kubernetes platform, not just virtual machine on Amazon or Google. It's only for Kubernetes because it's generating software designed for maximizing functionality of Kubernetes API and component and also facilitate infrastructure management and also, uh, all application must be packaged for Linux container package format to run Kubernetes, you're not going to deploy like a big chunk of WAR file on Kubernetes, you have to containerize and optimize your application and then. Uh, you that's why you need to like a container engine and container you like a Docker or OCI format to make that happen on running on Kubernetes so. You know, with that Kubernetes, uh, you can uh, build your multi and hybrid cloud uh, strategy because you have a multiple cloud like Amazon, Google, Microsoft, and IBM or Red Hat, but how to make it uh, portable uh, the across multiple cloud, which means you have like a, uh, the standard, the underlying platform, which is a Kubernetes. And more important thing is both cloud native and Kubernetes native technologies deliver any benefit of a self-service access and automated infrastructure scaling and dynamic resources pool, which mostly clearly distinguishes them from traditional application running on virtual machine. So maybe 10 years ago, maybe five years ago, virtual machine uh, give us a benefit to run your application, but not unlimited scalability. But after COVID-19, everybody working from home, me and you and a lot of people, which means we need to access the public cloud or someone out there to use some resources, which means it's just a rapid increase in scalability, but virtual machine cannot do address that uh, capability at all. So this is a totally different thing between virtual machine technology versus Kubernetes also uh, cloud native architecture.
0: Okay, there was, Daniel, you gave me so much to think through right there. <laughs> Um, so, you know, well, let's, let, let's talk a little bit about, um, let's see, uh, around the virtual machine aspect, because I, I think that's an important distinction. Uh, so many organizations, you know, virtual, virtual machines still dominate much of IT, given even though Kubernetes and, and containers have been out there for a while. What I often hear when I, when I talk to people or, or people ask me around uh, containers and Kubernetes is, well, aren't they just smaller VMs when in fact, they're not, and I think you hit on a couple of things. Uh, you talked about, you know, the ability to scale up um, uh, services rapidly, especially with, you know, many organizations saw this with uh, COVID nineteen. Uh, but then you also talked about how Kubernetes container-based environments can deliver acceleration back to modern application development. Uh, versus something like VMware, or the virtual machines, you know, and I tend to use VMware in that, but I know KVM, you're at Red Hat. So I I know you guys know that as well. But um, so within a virtual machine context, what I tend to think about from that side is much around the benefit is around better utilization, better optimization of services. And, And there is some operational standpoint, but in terms of delivering acceleration back to application development, I think there's some limitations there versus what, you know, Kubernetes container-based uh, environments have been able to deliver. What what are you seeing as some of the key differences between those two architectures? Uh,
1: so good question, actually. So if you just, let's say the end project just have some some pure application, like a limited, uh, I mean, limited business application. so. So we have only maybe a thousand people, I mean, end user, and then we just run CPU virtual machine. We already estimated all uh, the peak time resources in the CPU memory, et cetera. We can totally address all uh, the resource management along with our uh, the network traffic. So sometimes you have a seasonal uh, event, like, oh, uh, we got some promotion uh, maybe this month or next month, and then at a time, maybe we can expect maybe a two times. the the user will jump into our web page, but it turns out maybe ten times because people love love to uh, participate in our compelling event. At a time, you gotta face the big incident. Maybe your web page is the 404 error, or some uh, the the your uh, application not available. At a time, it's kind of digester and then you lose all business opportunity after that. So the Kubernetes architecture automatically handling that spike uh, natural traffic, like uh, using automatic scaling and even uh, virtual machine, we just uh, print some kind of maybe uh, more the high, uh, the resources, like uh, for example, uh, for every, uh, resource consumption perspective, maybe 50% or under 50% utilization or mature machine CPU memory, et cetera. But what about the, the other 50%? You just uh, wasted your resource, which means your money, but the container-based the Kubernetes or cloud CloudEver architecture, you don't need to uh, give some um, too many resources on idle. So you just uh, design, uh, just fit it in CPU memory resources, and then if you uh, need to more resources for along with your natural traffic or end user uh, uh, request, the, the Kubernetes and the cloud platform automatically scale out. Uh, for operation efficiency perspective, it's totally reduce your uh, infrastructure management uh, cost, like money, and then in the end you can uh, spend that money to. Uh, create a new business model or innovate your uh, some kind of new uh, improv system in the end you got to satisfy your end user with a more uh, good qualification your services on it so there are a lot of benefit and trace uh, you put adopt uh, cloud native or kubernetes architecture rather than virtual machine not just only scalability there are a lot of trades and benefit uh, take from that cloud native architecture
0: yeah and those are excellent points you know it's it's amazing how, especially as the infrastructure and, and hardware continue to, you know, modernize, we continue to get next generations and, and add, they add more capabilities, more horsepower, as it were. I, I, I didn't want to shift gears a little bit and, and go to one of the other topics, uh, Daniel, that we were talking about before. And that was the impact of, of different programming languages on, on container environments. And I think specifically Java, I, and I think you had some, some insights on that or, or some differences or considerations?
1: Yeah, sure. So, you know, so Java unleashed up in the world in back in 1995, it's almost 26 years ago. It's a prolonged journey. So I've been there done that. And actually you've that, I pretty sure that at the time Java was designed to maximize network throughput, food, right? And then for most demanding enterprise application of that day, while ignoring its size of the computing issues such as memory, CPU, disk storage, et cetera. So at a time, as long as the business application was stable, no one actually cared about you were required to pay a million dollars for only 2 gig memory process or 10 gig memory to run business application on top of just four or three uh, Java applications back then. So no one cared about that. The only important thing is, okay, our business application is running. Oh, that's good. No problem. Mm -hmm. So I need to spend maybe uh, $50 million. Okay, go for it. Nobody care about that. We only focus on application running 24 seven during 65 days. That's it all. And Java also uh, designed for long learning process application, just like I already mentioned earlier, and then maintaining critical customer data. And that's why uh, stale- uh, stability and reliability is the first high top priority as always. And the user experience for months or even years at a time. In those circumstances, the business application restarts should be avoided at all costs. So maybe 10 minute times were acceptable. I mean, 10 minute boot times, yeah, should be acceptable at least for operation teams. And then, oh, that's great. We got to take a break. We just restart our 10 application server and go for lunch and something like that. So you cannot imagine that uh, that is actually happened 10 years ago, right? even 15 years ago. And more important thing is the Java framework had a rich dynamic behavior, beautiful mutable system, which means uh, just application server. And then it means developer built on immediate code, yeah, a little bit technical stuff like a bytecode in a Java world then deployed to any application server on virtual machine. So good thing is for enterprise companies, they don't need to stick in one, middleware company. They can actually run Java application, any app server from any vendors or any open source project over the internet. That's really cool at a time. And then I'm gonna give some, one more example. If you, uh, so in you know, this Java framework, and you know, a the example, uh, the benefit of a Java for developers, in you know, these Java framework did a lot of acrobatic to keep the application flying in the air. And even allowed developers to modify the application as it flew. This is really awesome. So, but you know what? So things changed there. So with the rise of Kubernetes-native infrastructure and Linux container technology just five years ago, these dynamic behavior and an associated heavy footprint of a Java applications no longer match how developers and operation teams team uh, wanted to build and deploy applications today. So let me give you an example. If you one of your microservices needed to deploy more than 100 or sometimes even more thousand application paths to handle scalability and reliability issue in Kubernetes, the dynamic behavior of a Java framework would compile and build the same microservices at the same as the number of deployments. So if you deploy one application, 10 part for scalability, you need to build compile 10 times. That is not necessary at all in Kubernetes cluster. So this is a huge change challenge for use Java for Kubernetes native infrastructure, paci- specifically a scale environment. So everybody is doing, and everybody wanted to go uh, move forward to hybrid or multi-cloud in a more scalable, even, one of my uh, customer, ex-customer, they actually have a, a 15 microservices application. It's not, actually I don't believe that is actual microservices, but they say, oh, we have a 15, not 150. It's a 15 microservices. And then they're really considering about scalability. I don't understand that. Why you think about scalability? But they say, oh, maybe after two years later, we have more than 1000 microservices application. Okay, that makes sense. And then the, with that uh, consideration, so we need to adapt to the right uh, platform, but still we wanted to use a Java application because we already have hundred Java developer to maintain business application. I don't understand you have only 15 microservices, but you have a hundred Java developer. So anyway, so, <laughs> So that Kubernetes is the right choice to for the, your future cloud native or Kubernetes native architecture, and then but they need to figure out how to optimize, how to change your Java stack along with the Kubernetes native thing. So so the long story short, and the Java has a long history to more focusing on uh, long running process, on rich dynamic behavior, and then. Uh, some uh so heavyweight footprint and a, a slow startup time. It was really good at just a few application server, like a middleware stack, but with the Kubernetes and the cloud platform, it's not optimized stack. So that's a big challenge and limitation of Java for Kubernetes native stack.
0: Okay. So I, I, you know, for it, I, I just love the story of the anecdote of the the 15 microservices, because and then when you throw out, you know, how many Java developers, it reminds me of the old adage that, you know, as you add developers, actually the time to develop actually increases. It's really fascinating when you start thinking and start unpacking all the complexities that, or I don't want to say complexities, but just different considerations that happen when you move in a microservices environment. i um, and I think something else that you touched on that I did want to bring up is the, the multi-cloud aspect. It's so essential within a container environment. You know, part, of the reason you're, part of the reason people adopt these things are for portability and it is for scalability and that flexibility and how you can move back and forth. Um, and it is important to make sure that you think about that within your developer tools. Um, you mentioned about you know, some, of the, some of the challenges um, what tools? What recommendations would you have to organizations in in how they in how they better leverage um, you know Kubernetes or other technologies to um, to better develop applications uh, to support microservices and big scaling across uh, multi cloud environments?
1: Yeah, so uh, there are a lot of some open source project or tool to solve this challenge for Java developer specifically Kubernetes native there. So I think it's the uh, the old uh, the tools and a little bit more focused on developer productivity first, and then also a little bit more focused on developer joy. Maybe it's just a little bit uh, similar term, developer productivity and developer joy, but a little bit different. Uh, let me give you some example. Uh, developer productivity you can actually uh, accelerate your developer workflow. For example, how to uh, from coding, I mean, writing code, and the testing, and the build, and the deploy, et cetera. It's a really boring work for developer, but it's a necessary thing every single day. But just imagine that if you some framework, like a cloud native framework, uh, take care of this old burden from developer. So you don't need to manual thing. I mean, you you just you keep changing your code or putting the, your business load on your application. And behind the scene, the new cloud native some uh, Java stack uh, will recompile and rebuild and uh, re-update automatically behind the scene. And then you just keep focusing on your application development. And then that also deployed to Kubernetes or even local environment automatically. And then you just figure, oh, this is something changed. Oh, I got to miss something because I notified immediately what is changing, what is uh, something wrong. And then you, you need to spend more time to figure out your application development so previously we just need to spend my two days to finish that work but you just need to uh, four hours to have the same outcome and output which means the developer show it and also sometimes the uh the enterprise wanted to developer oh well, we we gotta go to uh, build a new event driven application like a a Kafka cluster or a messaging broker or uh, some serverless function for for event-driven fashion. But everybody already doing Java for more than 10 years, but I don't know how to do that. Oh yeah, you got to go to amazon.com and find uh, such a nice tutorial. You need to spend maybe 10 hours to catch up to new technology and just go back to the work and uh, implement our new fancy event-driven application. That's it but in real life, not gonna happen just one day, right? So if you give some new uh, uh, cloud or Kubernetes native Java stack uh, which he address uh, the reactive programming or traditional programming with the same frame or same syntax, but you just print into some uh, different uh, annotation like a program uh, perspective, which means the developer doesn't need to uh, run A new cloud stack or new uh, learning curve. So this is really happy for developer, and then they keep uh, increasing their skill set and then uh, enhance their uh, career path as well. So this is all kind of stuff. So I'm gonna just uh, give some uh, what kind of tools, uh, what framework uh, make that happen with this example. Maybe. You can go through uh, CNC app, uh, interactive landscape, you can find more than 900 projects and what tools, framework, platform. So people say, oh, super awesome. We have a lot of things. And then the problem is the IT leaders like, like a CTO or, or your developer team uh, leader or a manager They really hard to make a choice which one is the best choice for my team, for my project, for my company. Really hard. So, so better solution for develop from individual developer to IT uh, reader person. Let them solve the issue using the existing Java framework rather than trying to integrate or adopt to inexperienced new tools or project. So, for example, I'm gonna bring up the Quarkus. Uh, it's uh, invented Reddit, but there are so many individual uh, developer and contributor, even other vendors, jump in the project and, and uh, make it better. This project every single day. So, Quarkus is the Kubernetes native Java stack tailored for open JDK environment or JVM, which allows you have native compilation, uh, which means uh, like a, a executable file, not running on JVM. So, like a Go, Python you just run that file like a Windows EXE extension file. You can just run that application. And then you got a, a super fast and a tiny memory footprint. For example, the same RESTful API application, it takes uh, uh, one second to start up, but with the native compilation, we just 11 milliseconds to start up. And then, so memory footprint the same RESTful API, maybe hundred megabyte as a memory footprint, but the native compilation, you just five, uh, memory, a megabyte memory footprint is 25 or 30 times less than memory consumption. So just imagine that you compile this application to deploy Kubernetes, and then you are maybe 25 less than memory consumption, and then also super fast startup time. And the, this is really fitting the cloud native application for specific use cases like a uh, traditional microservices or event-driven application, even serverless application as well. You can uh, change this application or whatever you need for your use cases on Kubernetes platform. So there are a lot of amazing thing uh, Quarkus is doing for many things. So uh, maybe I can share uh, some uh, uh, helpful material, like, uh, uh, there are uh, tri- the Bindi URL, Bindi uh, slash try dash I definitely share the link after this meeting. Uh, that URL, you can just go to that webpage. It's an interactive self service portal. So you don't need to install any software or tool to go through that uh, scenario. So the, we, when you go to that URL, uh, you have uh, some like, tons of the uh, self service portal interaction courses. So you can how to get started focus the application. And you can also find that there are a lot of uh, use cases like how to integrate your backend Kafka cluster for event-driven application. Also how to monitor, observe your cloud every application using Prometheus or Grafana, so one of the popular uh, options to monitor your cloud stack. And then uh, there are how to secure your application like a single sign-on or authentication authorization. It's one of the uh, best practices of a DevSecOps. And there are more uh, interesting uh, scenario you can go to run by yourself using only, you just need only a web browser. And I recommend using Chrome or Firefox rather than Internet Explorer because uh, some of the uh, BPS stuff or some kind of firewall uh, reject you access that browser. So anyway, and there are another uh, uh, developer sandbox uh, uh, provided by Red Hat. So you don't need to pay any money for that just go to uh, developer at redhead.com. You just sign it uh, to create a uh, free credential and then you will have uh, 30 days to try your OpenShift cluster. And then that allows uh, you develop cloud every application and deploying on Kubernetes, which is OpenShift cluster. And then there are a lot of quick start to how to get started uh, application development with Quarkus, Spring Boot and Node.js and a lot of polyglot. Uh, application runtime. And also, uh, there are uh, web-based ID tool like a code-ready workspaces, which is a built-on Eclipse of che, which means you can actually uh, change your application code from Git repository and uh, edit it and or delete it and uh, update any application code and deploy, it, which means you don't need to even uh, download your ID tool like a VS Code or uh, IntelliJ. It's pretty easy, pretty simple. And then you just need to pre-sign up and take this developer sandbox in 10 minutes.
0: These are all great insights and, and actually great advice and, and tools for people to go check out. What's the one thing people should do? I think you gave people a bunch of bunch of different tools to leverage, but what would your one piece of advice be?
1: Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah, thanks for giving me a chance. So. Yeah, I would say yeah. The Quarkus plus Kubernetes is the uh, I think is, a, is a, one of the big your consideration for the next three months or what, six months. So if you still uh, want to play with the Java technology, please make sure catch up new feature or improvement in Quarkus, and then how to make it better experience your Kubernetes-native application development with the Quarkus on uh, Quark- uh, on Kubernetes stack.
0: It's it's just so amazing how much you know Kubernetes. How quickly containers and Kubernetes have not only permeate, permeated the world of IT, but are also you know it's it's changing the way we think about apps and app development. Uh, Daniel, it, you know if people want to learn more about you, follow you on Twitter. No, give a blog. You know what what sorts of ways can people uh, track you down?
1: Yeah. Uh, thanks for the yeah. It's a really great uh, opportunity. So my Twitter is uh, Daniel O. Three zero, and then also there are my YouTube channel. The uh, bit.ly URL, bit.ly slash Daniel OTV. So I put a uh, lots of technical video demo and the tutorial, and uh, even non-technical tips like uh, how to build a uh, cloud-native application like a uh, DevSecOps. Even you are not a developer, you totally understand how it goes.
0: Well, hey, thanks, Daniel. This is it's always great talking to you and getting your insights. And thank you for listening for more insights on ESG and our research. Please check out our website, esg-global.com. You can find me on Twitter at Scott underscore SIN. Again, all the Scott Sinclairs were taken. Uh, So that's at S-C-O-T-T underscore S-I-N. And please uh, take time to rate and review the podcast if you like it. If you don't, that's okay. But (laughs) anyway, hey, thanks for listening. And we're out.